Sideline Dissonant Podcast, coming to you from YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter, at the Brad Whitaker. I am the Brad Whitaker. As you can see, if you're watching on the video end, my face is back. Got a new camera, figured out the technology. Hopefully you'll start doing the live streaming soon. Got a lot to talk about today. I'm going to break down the Indianapolis Colts and their atrocious Thursday night game. Also, give you my Week 12 NFL picks day before the big games. I did do the picks uh, on Wednesday before the Thanksgiving games, but those had to be cut out because of some technical difficulties. But first, uh, I'm going to get to... What's been on everyone's mind, it's Saturday, there was a huge morning in college football, big shake-up in coaching, but before I get right into that, I want to talk about something that happened a couple of days ago, which has a lot of similarities to what's happening with college football coaches and where they've been signing in the news media. On CNN a couple of days ago, this fake news story surfaced that, uh, Boston had aired 30 minutes of porn on CNN. Obviously, the story went viral very quickly. Everyone thought it was hilarious. It was all over the internet. Turns out the story wasn't true. Shocking, right? In the age of such accurate news stories that we live in now, who would have thought that story would have been a lie? Same day that story was surfacing, Apparently, Tom Herman was named head coach of LSU. Who could have saw that coming? It shocked me. Shocked me because I thought Herman was perfect for Texas. You know, he has the recruiting advantage of staying in the state, going from Houston to Texas. You know, Charlie Strong likely on the way out. And, you know, Herman going to Texas, he wouldn't have to face Nick Saban every year. It made a lot of sense. So I didn't understand why he would go to LSU. I don't understand the demand to coach in the SEC, to be honest, because you, you have to face Nick Saban every year. It's ridiculous. That also made me have second thoughts about Charlie Strong. Maybe he wasn't leaving to Texas. Perhaps the Longhorns had given in to giving him that fourth year like so many people thought he deserved, even though he was literally is literally the losingest coach in Texas Longhorns history. We all know he doesn't deserve it at a program like Texas. They've had short-term expectations. He had three years to do what he wanted. You know, great coaches like Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer, they turned their programs around in a year and a half. Uh, Charlie Strong had had enough time. So that's why I was very confused that Herman went to LSU out of all programs. Of course, as we found out this morning, none of those stories were actually true. LSU named interim head coach Ed Orgeron, the full-time head coach, I still don't even know if I'm saying his name correctly, by the way, Ed Orgeron, Ed Orgeron, something like that. He was named the full-time head coach after going 5-2 and two since he took over for Les Miles at the beginning of the year, who started things out at 2-2. Two and two. Uh, Now, Orgeron's losses, two losses, were both close games against Alabama and Florida, uh, which apparently weren't close enough to dissuade the team, uh, the administration, boosters from not naming the interim head coach Orgeron their full-time head coach. Of course, 
Les Miles, he had two losses that were even closer against Wisconsin and Auburn, but I'm not going to dive too deep into that. I thought it was a good team with Les Miles. I still think it's a good team with Orgeron. This was the right team. This was the right hire under the circumstances. Uh, I just didn't necessarily agree with firing Les Miles, but... You know, it worked out. I think Orgron's a perfect fit for LSU. He's great in that system. And, of course, after that news surfaced this morning, moments after, the dominoes began falling. Uh, Immediately, Texas announced that Charlie Strong would be fired. And shortly after that, that's when Tom Herman went to Texas, like everyone thought would happen. You know, if... Herman weren't the absolute perfect fit. I really think Texas would have stuck with Charlie Strong for another year because they've made a lot of really stupid decisions over the years, like hiring Charlie Strong. Look, I'm not saying Strong can't be a great head coach. He really can be, but he clearly made that jump from the Big East AAC uh, at Louisville to Texas a bit prematurely. I mean, I know he's in his mid-50s, he's had plenty of coaching experience, but being physically and mentally tough, as Strong said the day he was hired by Texas, that's not enough to win in the Big 12. Certainly not enough to win in the SEC. Alabama doesn't win on just willpower. Every team works hard in college football. Uh, It's not about working hard, it's about working smart, and clearly Charlie Strong didn't seem to have the expertise to succeed at Texas. You know, Louisville, when uh, Charlie Strong was at Louisville, they just bulldozed teams his last two years. That's how he got the $5 million deal at Texas. Made a lot of sense. Uh, but Herman's, you know, it's... Herman is just a better fit. He, he really is. And I... Texas has made a lot of silly decisions and... They probably would have stuck with Strong another year if Tom Herman weren't the absolute perfect fit. Now, to get back to the whole fake news side of this story, I think it's possible, and uh, I'm not the first person to speculate this, that uh, Tom Herman's agent, Trace Armstrong, may have leaked that LSU rumor to the press. You know, if you leak a story like that, it speeds up the talks with Texas a little bit, gets them to give a little bit more money, probably. Also, fun fact, Trace Armstrong, Tom Herman's agent, is also Les Miles' agent. So maybe this was also a message trying to stick it to LSU to get their fans all excited. As you can see, I'm an LSU fan, kind of. I'm an LSU student. I'm an NBA student, but I'm... I'm about as invested in LSU as I am every team in college football. But, yeah, I think it's entirely possible that Trace Armstrong, all you have to do is create a rumor, give it to one person who knows some reporters, and then they all they have to say is, a source says, and then the, the news story spreads like wildfire. That's what we saw with the CNN porn story. That's what we saw with Tom Herman going to LSU. Didn't happen. We gotta stop falling for this stuff all the time. 
All right, uh, moving on to the next segment. Sorry, I'm figuring out this technology. Here's the transition music. So, uh, looks like the NFL is doing just fine, uh... Their, their Thanksgiving ratings were through the roof. Uh, you know, of course, everyone wants to watch football on Thanksgiving. You know, it's something to do with your family, or it's a way to ignore your family. Uh, but I I believe Sunday night's game, or, or Sunday afternoon's game between uh, Dallas and Washington was their best-rated Thanksgiving game of all time. Something like that. But... If you watch the game after that in the evening, we had an interesting one between the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers here on the road against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and if Thursday night's Thanksgiving game didn't wasn't enough to convince you that Andrew Luck clearly needs help, then you've been watching too many Skip Bayless videos. Now, uh, before I start breaking down the Indianapolis Colts and talking about how atrocious they played all game. I do want to compliment their backup quarterback, Scott Tolzien. He actually had a pretty solid game, considering. Yes, I know he may have, may have thrown two interceptions, but he also went 22 of 36 for 205 yards, and he threw a touchdown. A touchdown on the one play of the game his O-line gave him protection on. Seriously, watch every play. If you have time, and you're one of those people that likes to go back and review highlights, watch every play while Indy was on offense. Tolzien had zero protection. He was running for his life the entire game and completing passes like Luck has done all season. Andrew Luck is not the problem on that team. Tolzien's performance is actually a testament to Andrew Luck. A lot of great QBs have started as backups to other great QBs. Hell, if I if I were the Colts, I'd trade Tolzien at the end of the season. You know, the way quarterbacks are in such high demand, all it takes is one good game and teams start to take notice. Yeah, I was talking to someone the other day about uh, Tony Romo being traded. I was like, you know, he'll he'll be fine. Tony Romo will be fine and he'll get traded somewhere next year and... Uh, it'll all work out, and the Cowboys will get a lot in return. And the person I was talking to was like, oh, Romo's washed up. They'll get nothing. In today's NFL, where it's having a good quarterback is almost what makes or breaks a team, Any, a lot of teams, maybe the Arizona Cardinals, the New York Jets, Cleveland Browns, possibly Miami, although Tannehill's playing well, I'm sure those teams would be more than willing to give up you know, some draft picks for one or two good years out of Tony Romo. You see a guy like Tolzien, who looked pretty comfortable out there, considering uh, he had no O-line, I'd say you trade him at the end of the season. But, okay, regardless of how impressive Tolzien looked with the cards that he was dealt with, Colts as a whole looked awful. All three units looked bad and... The coaching was atrocious. 
head coach Chuck Pagano with a weak offense and a backup quarterback that had also lost the starting center, guard, and T.Y. Hilton in the same game went for it on fourth down twice in the red zone instead of taking the points. Let me just reiterate. Chuck Pagano's team, missing a starting center, guard, has a backup quarterback out there taking gambles on fourth down in the red zone. Look, being conservative in football tends to work out. The Colts were huge underdogs going in, so I guess you can understand the aggression because already Pagano thought his team would likely lose the game. I'm guessing. But going for it on fourth down twice there made the difference between a 21-7 ball game and a 21-13 game. A one-possession game. Conservative approach rarely fails. You take the points. I'm not saying you shouldn't go, go for it on fourth down every once in a while. If this were the Seattle Seahawks, the most aggressive team in the league, it would make sense. But Chuck Pagano, you don't have Seattle's players. You have Indianapolis's players, and you have their backups out there. You don't even have Andrew Luck out there. Take the points. If you're concerned about missing field goals, you're in a dome with the greatest field goal kicker of all time. Sure, he missed a 50-plus kick earlier in the game, but those other, you know, those two kicks would have been chip shots for Adam Vinatieri. Take the points. Now, look, I think Chuck Pagano had lost his job in Indy before the season even started, but Thursday night may have put the final nail in the coffin. You just, that is not a situation to be aggressive. And Indy would have been in that game. And that could have made the difference. Who knows? And then we'd all be talking about how Scott Tolzien is the greatest quarterback of all time. You know? And and you might think I'm crazy saying that Tolzien's performance might be enough for the Colts to trade him and get a lot in return. Jimmy Garoppolo played a half longer than Tolzien did this season. He played a game and a half. And teams are going you know teams are going to be calling New England this offseason trying to trade for Garoppolo. But Chuck Pagano making those risky decisions with a backup quarterback and a depleted team on with, that already has an offensive line a, a bad offensive line, poor running game and not many great receivers. But we we know that Chuck Pagano isn't entirely the problem though. He isn't the person who acquired those players. That would be general manager Ryan Grigson. He needs to go to. This is a team that's been riding the coattails of Tony Tony Dungy, Peyton Manning, and Jim Caldwell to an extent for far too long. If you're uh, watching on the video end, I forgot to use my graphic for the Colts segment. So here it is. Ooh, pretty exciting, huh? I named it Chuckin' the Colts Season Out. I thought that was pretty clever. But again, I completely forgot to put it up. So 
There it goes. Pretty cool technology I have here, though, to run this podcast. Uh, be able to simulcast it on video, audio, eventually do a live stream. I actually know how to do it now. I am just want to get better at doing these podcasts before I start doing that. Uh, so, as I mentioned at the uh, top of the podcast, I uh, actually recorded my NFL Week 12 picks last Wednesday before the Thanksgiving games took place. But uh, they didn't actually happen because I accidentally clicked the mute button, so it was literally just me talking and there was no sound coming out. Uh, But I'm going to get to my NFL picks today. Uh, Obviously, the Thanksgiving games are out entirely, but uh, get using my graphics. I'll talk about, I'll give you the lines for the games and my prediction. We're going to start. Tennessee Titans are a five and a half point favorite on the road against the Chicago Bears. Uh, look, Chicago, they're tenth in yards allowed this season, but they're nineteenth in points allowed. And the way Tennessee's been playing of late, we know they can score. They got two great running backs, Demarco Murray, Derrick Henry. Uh, they'll win this game by at least a touchdown. Five and a half points, not enough. I'm picking the Tennessee Titans. Next, Jacksonville is visiting the Buffalo Bills. Bills are a a 7.5-point favorite. That's a lot of points to give a team like the Bills, you may think. But Buffalo, they're they're 5-5, but they've had the 10th most difficult schedule this season, and four of their five losses have been by less than a touchdown. So the Buffalo Bills, this is a good team that nobody is really paying paying any attention to. You know, everyone was going into the season saying Rex Ryan was going to lose his job because he doesn't get along with ownership. I think Rex Ryan is, you know, he's a defensive head coach, but this offense has showed a lot this season. I think the Bills will win by more than a touchdown, probably be a 10-point victory. That's my prediction there. Cincinnati visiting the Baltimore Ravens. They're a four-point favorite. The Ravens have come a long way this season, especially that young, athletic defense they have. And... If Cincinnati couldn't score more than 12 points against Buffalo's defense last week, how are they going to do on the road against the league's best pass rush? I'm picking the Ravens by a touchdown. Arizona, they're visiting the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons are five-and-a-half-point favorites. I would say uh, this might be a potential upset, but Atlanta is at home, coming off of a bye week, And Arizona lost to a Minnesota team last week. That's half of what it was at the beginning of the season. Only because of the bye. I mean, I would pick Atlanta no matter what to win the game. But I picked the Falcons to win by a touchdown. Just because teams at home off of a bye week tend to play very well. And Las Vegas knows it too. I don't think they compensated them enough. Uh, New York Giants on the road against the Cleveland Browns. The... 7-3 New York Giants. I'm calling it now. 7-point favorites. This is the upset of the week. I know Cleveland is 0-11, but the New York Giants are literally the worst 7-3 team of all time. That's not an exaggeration. They are the worst 7-3 team of all time. Josh McCown, who will be starting, uh, will have more time to throw because New New York really doesn't have much of a pass rush. So not only am I taking the points, 
I'm calling the upset. The Cleveland Browns will get their first victory of the season against the New York Giants. The 7-3 New York Giants. Los Angeles Rams visiting the New Orleans Saints, who are seven-point favorites. Look, LA's defense is certainly capable of mitigating Breeze. Uh, but New Orleans is productive against everyone. They go up against the best defenses. They're going to they're gonna put at least 14 to 20 points on the board. And I just haven't seen enough out of Jared Goff to not pick the Saints, even as seven-point favorites. Uh, you know, Goff will have a chance to show what he's made of. New Orleans has a very weak defense, but, you know, the Rams have had issues set all over that offense and more than just the quarterback position. You know, Jared Goff, even if he has the game of his life, he can only do so much. I'm picking the New Orleans Saints in that one. Uh, San Francisco visiting the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins are seven-point favorites at home. It's always tough to win in Miami, uh, whoever you are. Dolphins have quietly won five straight games. And probably for the first time since Marino was there, they're balanced offensively. Uh, Ajayi is... I'm, I don't want to give Ajayi too much credit. He's had a great season. Uh, but that offensive line has really stepped up. And because of it, Ryan Tannehill looks like an NFL quarterback for the first time in his career. So this game's in Miami. San Francisco is weak at nearly every position. This game has blowout written all over it. I'm picking the Dolphins by somewhere between 14 and 21 points. San Diego, one-point favorite in Houston, practically a pick Look, I say this every week, and I'll say it again. San Diego is the greatest last-place team of all time. At 4-6, and six, they are the greatest 4-6 and six team of all time. Houston's coming off of a short week. They played on Monday Night Football uh, in uh, Mexico City. San Diego's coming off a bye. This pick is a no-brainer. It's practically a pick Houston has only beat bad teams this season, and they wilted on Monday night, despite outplaying Oakland for three and a half quarters. That's what—that's the difference between good teams and bad teams. Good teams win on bad nights. Bad teams, even when they're outplaying the other team, they still lose. I'm Unfortunately, that's Houston Texans. I'm picking the San Diego Chargers in this one. Uh, Seattle, six-point favorite on the road in Tampa Bay. Look, I'm picking Seattle, but I'm taking the points for Tampa. Look, the Bucks have quietly won two straight, and last week's win in Kansas City was a statement game. Teams that go into Arrowhead Stadium with a young quarterback that's been hit a lot tend to not play well. But the Bucks came in and stunned everyone. They won the game. So this could be a tougher matchup than Seattle thinks. They have to travel all the way across the country. I think that might be... No, no. Unless they're going to Miami. This is the second longest flight in the NFL. Seahawks. Uh, I'm picking them to win by just a field goal. So I'm taking the points for Tampa. Carolina versus Oakland. The Raiders are three-point favorites. This is an important game to watch. There's a lot of smart reasons to pick the Carolina Panthers to win this game. My math says it's a pick But what we saw last night is Oakland knows how to close out close games, even when they're not playing well. And, you know, the Raiders are still young. They have, they have a number of veterans on that team that uh, seem to lift things up. But they've created a really great culture in Oakland. Uh, 
That defense seems to improve every week. Uh, I'm going to pick the Oakland Raiders to win this one. However, if you're picking the Panthers, I don't blame you. This this could be a trap game for Oakland. They are a better team on the road than they are at home. Uh, but, like I said, they're improving every week. And they were outplayed on Monday night against Houston. Still won the game. Uh, New England Patriots, 7.5 point favorites on the Jets. Uh, if you tune into this podcast regularly, you know I'm a Patriots fan. Uh, I've watched the Patriots play in New York every season, and it's always a closer game than you think it's going to be. Picking Now, picking New England not to cover the spread has been a bad decision this year. I think they haven't covered the spread three times. Every other game, they've covered it. Uh, but, again, if you've seen them play on the road against the New York Jets, historically, it's almost always a close game, no matter the team. Pat should be able to win this game, but don't be surprised if it's by less than a touchdown. Kansas City Chiefs versus Denver Broncos. I'm perhaps the most excited about this game. Uh, this is going to be on Sunday Night Football, which is pretty great. Uh, two great defenses and two gr- two weak offenses. Uh, I would pick the Chiefs if they were the home team, uh, but Denver's offense tends to play a lot better at home. They should be able to win by more than three. And then finally, the Monday night matchup. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. Do you want to bet on Aaron Rodgers? I wouldn't do it. Look, uh, see, uh, the Eagles are four-point favorites on the Packers. Uh, reality has set in a little bit for Carson Wentz after he got off to a hot start this season. But he should be able to pick that Green Bay defense apart. And I just don't know if Aaron Rodgers can keep up with it. He played a much better game last week in Washington, even though they lost. But there's just so many things that need to be fixed. I'm picking the Philadelphia Eagles to win that one. So that's it for today's podcast. I'm back on video. Uh, I'll I'll probably be back on Monday with, you know, more talking about whatever happened on Sunday. And yeah. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) Uh, Until then, goodbye, everyone.